partnership that we have together as a church, and I love being here, and I know Brandon likes being over at First Free. I've not always been a pastor. Uh, people at my church know that, but you may not know that. Um, I've actually only been in the pastorate um, for part of my adult life. Before that, I was in the business world, but I didn't go to school um, to study business, and so when I came in um, to the world of business, I had to do a fair amount of catching up, and so I read everything that I could on how to be successful in this venture that I was endeavoring into, and I learned a lot from the so-called success literature of the day. Um, now, granted, a lot of the success literature has to do with worldly things, things like making more money and increasing your influence in the world. But there's at least one thing that I learned from all of that time that has really stuck with me and that I think is very worthwhile. And it's this idea of beginning with the end in mind. Have you ever heard of this type of a concept, to begin with the end in mind? Basically what it means is that you will do better work today if you think about what your long-term goals are. Or you'll be more focused right now if you have the end of your life in mind. Um, your long-term purpose will help to bring clarity to your short-term priorities and focus. And so I think this is a good lesson that I learned from my time in the business world and something that applies really to all of life, not just to your vocation or to your career. And so I want to begin with a simple question this morning, and that is, what is your mission in life? And I know as preachers, sometimes we ask these rhetorical questions and you just kind of sit there and um, go with it. But I'm really asking you that question. I want you to think about it this week. What is your mission in life? What is it that gives your life meaning and purpose? There's really not much more discouraging, and I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's not much more discouraging than feeling like your life doesn't have meaning, that your life doesn't count for something. And there's not much that's more life-giving the knowing that your life does have meaning and that what you're about is a part of something that really matters. So what is your purpose in life? What do you want to be said of you when the last chapter of your life is finished? Did you know that the Bible answers this question for us. It tells you what you should say um, as I ask the question, what is the purpose in your life? The Bible tells us why we were created in the first place. And the Bible tells us why it is that God sent his one and only son to save us. There is a meaning, there is a purpose behind our creation and behind our salvation. And if we keep that purpose in mind, it will give meaning to our lives. That purpose will help us to prioritize the things that are in front of us, even this day or throughout this week. It will affect our work. It will affect our relationships. It will affect the way that we engage 
in church. It will affect every area of our life if we get it and if we believe it. What is that purpose? We've been singing about it all morning. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way. It says that the chief end of man, that is your purpose in life, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. My hallelujah belongs to you, and you deserve it. That is a paraphrase of what it is that we are to be about. And that's really the major theme of our passage this morning. You guys at the Bridge Church are beginning a new series this morning in Ephesians, and I'm going to be opening that series for you. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. It's kind of like right in the middle of the New Testament. So we've got Romans, which is a big one, and then First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. Ephesians 1 primarily gives us the reason why we should glorify God. So we said, all glory belongs to you and you deserve it. We sung that, right? But this text is telling us why. We haven't actually said yet this morning why our praise belongs to God. It's, it's, we have breath in our lungs and so our praise belongs to God. But why? We haven't seen that yet, but we're going to see that as we look at this passage. And then we're also going to see how we can glorify God. So listen for those things. Why we glorify God and how we glorify God as we read this passage together. I'll begin reading in verse 3 through verse 14. This is what God's Word says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, that is, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This passage begins with a summary sentence. Uh Uh-oh. I'm losing my stuff. Like my Bible. 
Sorry, I got all Brandon's sweat rags and stuff down in here. I got. <laughs> I apologize. I got to make make room. This passage, thankfully, begins with a summary sentence. We're told in verse three that God Himself is blessed, and that His blessings have then been poured out onto us. That He has blessed us in. Christ. So the Father is blessed, and the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that is in the heavenly places. That is, with the blessings that come to us through the Spirit. So the Father blesses, the blessings are ours in Christ, and they come to us through the Spirit of God. There are three sentences in these verses that lay out the ways that God has blessed us in Christ. And then at the end of each sentence, so at the end of verse 6, at the end of verse 12, at the end of verse 14, we are told that there is a reason for God blessing us in Christ, that repeated refrain that you heard throughout the reading, to the praise of His glory. So let me just summarize. Our election and our adoption by the Father in verses 3 to 6 are to the praise of His glory. Our redemption and the inheritance that we have in Christ, verses 7 to 12, are to the praise of His glory. And that inheritance is sealed by the Holy Spirit, verses 13 and 14, to the praise of His glory. God has blessed us in Christ, and it is all to the praise of His glory. This is the great purpose for which you were created. This is the great purpose for which you were redeemed, to praise and to glorify God because of all that we have in Christ. And so to divide our time this morning, I want to lay out three ways that kind of follow this, these three sentences of the ways that God has blessed us in Christ. So these different things give us the reason why. Why our praise? Why does He deserve it as we just sang. And then at the end, we're going to look at how we can glorify God. So why and then how we glorify God. Let's begin with the three reasons why we should glorify God. First, we should glorify God because the Father has graciously chosen and adopted us in Christ. To repeat, if you're taking notes, we should glorify God because the Father has graciously chosen and adopted us in Christ. Now I know that there are some of you theological types here this morning that would like for me to spend most of my time on this topic of election and predestination. You're just dying to know more about it. And I hate to disappoint, but I'm not going to actually say much about it except for what this text says about it. But Brandon is offering an opportunity to talk more about this uh, later this week, I believe on Wednesday, for like a combined small group time to deal with some of the intricacies. This morning, I'm going to focus more, it's going to seem like I'm focusing more, on adoption, and I think you'll see why. In Paul's mind, our predestination and our adoption are intimately linked and they both establish this one point, that it is God who is solely responsible 
for our salvation. There is nothing that we have done to earn our salvation. It has nothing to do with who we are, with what we have done. It has everything to do with what God has done, His initiative, His accomplishment, and that is why it is all to the praise of His glory and His grace. J.I. Packer says that adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. It's even more important or a higher thing than our justification, that great doctrine of the Reformation. Justification is the doctrine that says that in Christ, we have been declared righteous in the eyes of a holy God. And that is fundamental to our salvation. Without our justification, we are sinners who stand guilty before the holy, righteous judge, Without forgiveness, without justification, we stand under the wrath of God and will face the eternal judgment of God. So you can see why justification is foundational for everything that we are as Christians. However, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel because it draws out not just our right standing before God, but it draws out the love of God that he has lavished on us so richly in Christ. Packer says justification deals with a forensic idea. Adoption deals with a family idea. Justification deals with God as judge, which he is, but adoption deals with God as father. To be declared right before God is great, but to be loved by God through adoption is far greater. The reason that all of the glory goes to God is because our adoption is by grace alone. Our adoption is based solely on what God has done, not on what we have done. And so it is to God alone that belongs the glory. You're going to continue to hear me repeat that throughout this, this sermon because that's the one thing that I hope that you get this morning. Those of you here who have adopted children understand this metaphor. You understand this point that I'm making, whether you realize it or not. Because an adoptive parent doesn't adopt a child because of anything that that child has done. They don't adopt a child because of what they may potentially bring to the table in terms of resources or talent or anything like that. You adopt because you have determined in your heart to give your love to a particular child. It is not a choice that the child makes to be adopted. It is the choice that you make as adoptive parents. It has nothing to do with what they've done ever, good or bad. And if your love is an unconditional love, it won't be conditioned on what they continue to do going on into the future. The same is true of our adoption in Christ. The reason earthly adoption is so glorious is because it reflects the adoption that we have in Christ. In verse 4, we are told that God chose us before the foundation of the world. 
In verse 5, we're told that God has predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of His will. God chose us before anything we ever did, before we were born, before we even had the chance to do anything good or bad. That's when God determined that He would adopt us as our children. His adoption is unconditional, not based off of our merit or deserving, but based off of His grace, based off of His love. Friends, just let me reiterate, summarize what we've covered so far in this chapter that shows you that God is the sole initiator within salvation. Verse 3, it's God who has blessed us in Christ. Verse 4, it is God who has chosen us in Christ. Verse 5, God who has predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of God's will. Therefore, it is all to the praise of God's glory and of God's grace. The purpose of our lives is to glorify God. Why? Why does He deserve it? Because our salvation is based from beginning all the way beginning to the end on the work of Jesus Christ. And that leads me to the second reason why we should glorify God. We should glorify God because the Son has graciously redeemed us and given us an inheritance. We should glorify God because the Son has graciously redeemed us and given us an inheritance. I'm going to return to this adoption idea. If you've ever adopted or know somebody who has or walked alongside of somebody who has, you know that it can be really, really expensive. It can cost tens of thousands of dollars, depending on how you do it. And it's not only the financial cost that is expensive. There's a lot of potential for heartache. And there's definitely a lot of headache that is involved in all of this. It is costly. But when it comes to our adoption in Christ, there's really no cost comparison, so to speak. Our adoption in cost the Father, His one and only Son, and it cost the Son His life in order to purchase our adoption. It was by His blood, we are told in verse 7, that we are redeemed. Orphans in the world at large, foster care children right here in our own community are by definition separated from their biological parents. And that's due to circumstances that are outside of their control. But you know, it's very different when it comes to us. Our estrangement from our Heavenly Father, our separation from our Heavenly Father is on us. It's a result of our own sin. All of us have consciously, willfully rebelled against the holy God of the universe. We are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, Romans tells us that the wages of our sin is death. We're not children of God in our sin. We are children of wrath who deserve nothing but God's 
judgment. So in order for God to adopt us as sons and daughters, he first had to rescue us from our slavery to sin and to Satan. He first had to deliver us from the imprisonment to death. And how did he do this? We're told in verse 7, he did so through the blood of the cross, that we can be forgiven through the cross of Jesus Christ and delivered from our trespasses. Our adoption costs us nothing. It's not like we meet God halfway on this. It's not like we owe him a debt that we have to pay back after we've been adopted because he's done such a great thing for us. Our adoption costs us nothing, but it costs God, his one and only son. But even though our redemption cost Christ his life, it didn't empty his eternal bank account, so to speak. God still has very deep pockets. And that is really good news for you if you belong to the family of God this morning. You see, this metaphor that Paul uses for adoption um, it intentionally, I mean, it comes from the ancient Roman world. And so the way that adoption worked in the ancient Roman world, Paul, is, Paul means for us to understand that so that we understand what he's talking about here. In the ancient Roman world, it's a little bit different in that a man would not adopt somebody just because he wanted to show them love. He would adopt them because he didn't have an heir to inherit um, the inheritance. And so he would adopt somebody um, in order to pass on all of the things that belonged to him, his wealth, his estate, even his profession, so that that uh, profession would not cease but could continue on. And so part of that idea of adoption is implied here in Ephesians 11, where Paul says that in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. If we're in Christ, all that belongs to God's Son now belongs to us, His sons and His daughters. We have full access to the riches of God's great big estate. This is a glorious truth. If you think about what you're doing to save for retirement or to build an inheritance for your children. You have to work your whole life um, to be able to build that type of resources so that you can give something away, so that you can be sustained within your retirement. But when it comes to our heavenly inheritance, there is nothing that we have to do to work for that. We don't have to contribute into some heavenly 401k that we can benefit from later on in life. It has all been given to us by the Father. All that belongs to the Son belongs to those who are in the Son. And since it all comes from Him, then it is all, as verse 12 says, to the praise of His glory. Maybe to help bring this a little closer to home so that you can see what Paul is doing, I just want you to imagine something very hypothetical, I know, but to imagine something. Imagine for a moment that as a child, you were abandoned by your parents. And 
you went into the foster care system right here in Wichita. But unfortunately, although there are many great foster care families in this community, the foster care system didn't serve you well as a kid. And so over the course of time, you begin to get into more and more trouble. And eventually, as a young adult, you create, you commit a heinous crime. A heinous crime that is so severe that Judge Melgren, I know some of you West Free people know who that is, that he convicts you of this heinous crime and he sentences you to death. But then imagine that in the midst of all of that, that Charles Koch comes in to the picture and he, he posts bail for you. And somehow through his influence in this community, um, he is able to get you off the hook for that crime. Now, I know that's maybe not possible, but just imagine that for the sake of the story. But he doesn't stop there. He then goes to his attorney and puts forward paperwork to have you adopted into his family. And then he goes back to his attorney and he says, not only do I want them to be adopted into my family, but I'm going to write them in to my will. So you've gone from being an orphan and a convicted criminal to being a son and being an heir to the wealthiest man in all of the city. Now, I know that is a far-fetched story, a fictional story, but hopefully it gives you a picture, at least a small picture, of a much bigger truth and a truth a story that is actually true, that in Christ, you who were alienated from God, condemned to eternal death, have been made sons and daughters through Christ and are now the heirs of the richest eternal inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Isn't that a glorious do you see why your hallelujah belongs to God and that he deserves it? There is a very rich reason for that. It's based off of nothing that we have done. So it is all to the praise of his glory. So we've seen these blessings that come from the Father and our chosenness and our adoption that come from the Son and our redemption and inheritance. Now let's look at the blessing that comes from the Spirit. The third reason we should glorify God is because the Spirit has guaranteed our inheritance. The Spirit has guaranteed our inheritance. This comes out in verses 13 and 14. But I just want, I want you to catch something here real quick. Hopefully I've just been as clear as I possibly can be that there is nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. From beginning to end, it is all based off of God's initiative and Christ's work for you. But the passage doesn't stop there. It then goes on to say that there is nothing you can do to screw it up. There is nothing that you can do to lose that salvation. If God is responsible for the work that he began in you, then he will finish it. Verse 13 says that in Christ you were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit. Your inheritance is secure. If God began a work in you, a work of salvation, maybe not in you, but he began a work of salvation before the foundations of the earth, as we're told that he did. If we were predestined, as this verse says, according to the purpose of his will, then we can have assurance that God will continue that work until the very end. Our salvation began in eternity past. It will continue into eternity future. So we're not only given the spiritual wealth, that wealth is secured. God guarantees our inheritance. It's like an eternal version in a really hyped up way of the FDIC. It, it's, you don't have to worry about it. It is secure. If God does it, then it is secure. And that security is intended to give us confidence. Or to quote the modern hymn, the Spirit guarantees God's work until His work is done. Until we join in endless praise, a God who is three and one. Ephesians 1 makes it clear that the purpose of our lives is to glorify God and that there is ample reason to do that because of all of the blessings that we have in Christ. As we see these blessings, our hearts should be drawn to praise and to glorify God. But these blessings that we've been speaking of, they don't belong to everybody. They can, but they don't belong to everybody. We're told in, this, in verses 13 and 14 that they belong to those who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and have believed. There's a qualification there. These blessings belong to those who have heard this good news of salvation and who have believed in Christ. Without Christ, we remain dead in our sins. Without Christ, we are not adopted as sons and daughters. We are children of wrath. And if that is where you find yourself today, not having yet placed your trust in Christ, there is good news for you. Christ has shed his blood for your sins. If you trust in him today, all of these glorious blessings that we have spoken of can be yours. And so I encourage you today to turn from your sin, from your rebellion against God and his leadership in your life and to fall on the mercy of God that is found in Jesus Christ and then to surrender your will to him and to follow him. To become his son means to live according to the rules of the family. That doesn't get you into the family of God, but that is evidence that you love the father who has loved you and that you want to be in his family. And so I encourage you to come home today through Jesus Christ. We've seen that the purpose of our life is to glorify God and many reasons why, but now I want to turn to the question, how? How do we glorify God? Obviously, one way that we glorify God is through giving Him praise, but I think that God has more in mind than simply 
giving him praise. Sure, he wants us to glorify him with our lips, but he also wants us to glorify him with our lives. Now, why do I say that? Well, it comes from verses 9 and 10, but it's going to take me just a little bit to explain why I say that. These verses, if you're going to continue coming over the next few weeks for Ephesians, you need to know that these are the two key verses for the entire book of Ephesians. They lay out God's plan, God's purpose in redemption. They serve as a thesis statement, as you, if you will, of the whole book. They tell us why God has blessed us in Christ. They reiterate this purpose for our lives. And there in verse 9, we know that in Christ we know God's will is the language used. We know the Father's purpose, which he set forth in Christ. We know God's plan for the fullness of time. What is this will? What is this purpose? What is this plan? We're told God wants to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and on earth. You may want to write that down or star it in your Bible. What's God's plan in Christ? He wants to unite all things under Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. God wants everything in creation, in other words, to be united under Christ. He wants them to be gathered up under Christ, or maybe a better word. God wants all things to be reconciled under Christ. That'd be a good translation there too. The reason for that is when sin entered the world, everything got out of whack. Um, there was a rupture in the universe and what he wanted for our lives. But not only that, also our relationships with one another got messed up. I mean, obviously in marriages, relationships between parents and children, um, brothers and sisters, all of these relationships, relationships in, our working, um, in the working world, all of that got messed up. And then our relationship to the world itself Work became difficult. The, the earth produced thorns. There's difficulty in childbirth. You, you understand, all things were out of alignment with God's will and with God's ways. God's plan of salvation is to bring all things back into alignment with his will and with his ways under Christ for everything to be reconciled to God, for all things to be united under the head, which is Christ, to bring things back into alignment with his will and ways. That's the purpose of God sending Jesus. That's the purpose of him saving you. But what does all of that have to do with how we glorify God, which is what we're talking about right now? Well, what I'm about to say is not exhaustive. In any way, Ephesians 9 to 10 is like the preview to a really epic film. And what I'm about to say by way of application is just a little hint of the treasures that are going to be found as you guys study the book of Ephesians together. One of the greatest theologians of the 19th century was a man named Abraham Kuyper. He was a Dutch theologian. But he wasn't just a theologian. He was also a statesman or a politician, 
Not only that, he also started a newspaper in Amsterdam. Not only that, he also started a university in Amsterdam. I mean, he traveled the world. Why did Abraham Kuyper give his life to all of these various forms of work? Well, it's because he believed Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. He believed that all things in all of the earth and in all of heaven needed to be unified under Christ. They needed to come into submission to Christ. And this is the way that he said it so famously. He said, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not declare mine. I want you to to hear that again. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ does not declare mine. What does that mean for us? What does that have to do with how? you fulfill the purpose for which God saved you, which is to glorify God. Well, it means this. If we want to live for God's glory, then we can't compartmentalize our lives. Every square inch of our lives belongs to God because He has bought us, because He has adopted us, because He has brought us into His family. Our lives belong to Him every square inch of our lives. And so every square inch needs to be conformed to God's will. Every area needs to be united to God's ways. We can't compartmentalize our lives. But isn't that just what we do in American Christianity? We have a tendency to see our faith is something separate over here than the rest of the things that we do in our life is something separate over here. We see ourselves as Christians, but we see ourselves as so much more than that. We see ourselves as professionals. We see ourselves as a spouse, as parents, as neighbors. On and on, even church members. And so often, these different roles, we don't connect to the fact that we are primarily Christians who belong to Christ, who are in Christ. We can't do that, though, because of what Christ has done. Because of what God has done in Christ, every square inch of our lives belongs to Him. It's not as if you're a professional over here, or a worker over here, and a Christian over here. Or those of you who are not yet in the working world, as if you're a student over here, and a Christian over here. No, you are a Christian worker. You are a Christian student. It's not as if you're a husband over here, or a wife over here, and a Christian over here. No, you are a Christian husband, a Christian wife. 
That is why husbands are to lay down their lives for their wives as Christ did for the church and why wives are called to submit to their husbands. That's why for workers, we're to do all for the glory of God, to work not as unto man, but for God who will give us the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom we serve, we are told in Colossians chapter 3. We don't compartmentalize our lives as something separate from the Lordship of Christ because of what Christ has done. Every square inch belongs to him. All the way down to the very basics of your life. Things like eating and sleeping. I don't want to be ridiculous, but I want to be clear. You're not just an eater. You're a Christian eater. You're not just a sleeper. You're a Christian sleeper. Even the ways you go about consuming food and thinking about rest need to be shot through with the Lordship of Christ who says, I declare every square inch of your life mine. That is how you live to the glory of God. What is the purpose of your life? What are you living for? You are called to be holy and blameless before Him. What do you desire? You should desire to do His will in every area of your life. So I want to encourage you this week to spend time throughout this week, to spend time throughout this series in Ephesians, thinking about your purpose in life, thinking about your goals. Begin with the end in mind. Remember your purpose and then start thinking about how that affects your calendar, how that starts to affect your relationship, how it affects your work week. How can all of those things be united to God's purpose of uniting all things under Christ, who is the head of all, to the praise of his glory and his grace? Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would not only be people who have your praise on our lips, but that we would know why. That we would understand the rich blessings that we have in Christ that come solely because of your grace and that that would lead us to praise with our lips, but also to glorify you in our lives. I pray for everybody here this morning that they would surrender and submit to Christ who is the head, whether that is for the first time to come into the family of God through faith in Christ, or whether that is a renewed commitment to see the Lordship of Christ permeate every aspect of the fabric of their life. We know, Lord, that salvation is from you, is through Christ, but we also know that it is only through your Holy Spirit that you can work in us the things that are pleasing to you in your sight. And so we pray that you would do that to the praise of your glorious name and for the good of your people whom you love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 